This week, Jenny and I went out on a date to downtown Lexington, which is rare for us. We're not big town, big city people. Some of you are chuckling even now. Lexington, big city? I know. So we dined out and we went for a walk downtown Lexington and we went by the courthouse fountains and we walked with the tall buildings and it was a beautiful warm night. We made our way to Triangle Park and everywhere we went, we encountered people. People were everywhere. There was a couple walking their dogs. There were clusters of people. And every single person we encountered was holding out a device like this. You know what they were doing, right? Pokemon Go. Every single person. We felt like we were in one of those movie scenes where the body snatchers had already gotten everyone else and we alone were the last two people left, okay? There was a couple trying to walk two dogs and the dogs, you know, were, <laughs> you know, it was, it was hysterical. Normally you go to Triangle Park and on an evening, you know, the couples are holding hands and looking at each other's eyes and I love you, I love you more and that kind of stuff, no. They were, they were catching Pokemon. There was no I love you's on that night. If, if I could use an adjective that would describe life in America today, it would be this adjective, distracted, right? If you commute into Lexington on, on a week, weekday morning, you know what I'm talking about. Distracted. If you go to a restaurant, you'll see people at the table, but they're not necessarily fully present, they're distracted. Um, teenagers, I, I love you, but it's hysterical to see two of you sitting next to each other, texting each other, and you're right next to each other, and I'm like, you know, you could just talk to them, right? What? <laughs> right, okay? We are distracted, and, it, and it's not just screens, it's not just technology. Um, if you've got kids today, it's easy to get more distracted than you used to be. So if you, if you were on a sports team 20 years ago, you'd have home games, away games, regionals, and playoffs. Today, you've got pre -game, the preseason games, the postseason games, you have exhibition games, you have all this other stuff, you have extra practices, and then you're traveling, I mean, it adds up, band, 20 years ago, right? Band was easy breezy, maybe a week of band camp, one competition, you go on to state, you're done. Today, right, it's three weeks of band camp, practice every night, marching competitions six or seven weeks in a row. Kaboom, it's, you know, and, you know, if you're a parent on duty, that's, that's a lot to get, you know, it's easy to get distracted. Um, if you don't have kids, but you're on Facebook, You've got the burden of all these people that you're keeping up with that if it were 20 years ago, all they'd get from you, let's be honest, is a Christmas card with a picture. <laughs> Only now you're keeping up with all the twists and turns that go on it. It's, it's easy to notice the clerk at the store who's on their phone and doesn't notice the fact that you're at the counter. It's easy to notice the guy who pulls up next to you at the traffic light who's on his device. This year on I-75, I'm not making this up, a guy passed me, he had to be going like 85, 88 miles an hour. He was shaving at 88 miles an hour. I was like, woo, help me, okay? It's not just these people, it's not. Like, 
I feel distracted. There's so many things coming at me all the time. I feel it. I feel distracted. It's not just them. It's you, it's me, it's us. It's life in 2016. Here's the thing. When we're distracted, we can miss the great thing that's right in front of us. When we're distracted, we can miss the great thing that's right in front of us. Now, while the tools of distraction have changed, maybe today it's technology and choices for leisure and hobby, the art of distraction has not. Uh, which is why I want you to turn it, if you brought a paper Bible, we're gonna be in Nehemiah chapter six today. Nehemiah chapter six. Um, Nehemiah, by way of reminder, was a Persian government official who happened to be a Jew, living at a time when the Jews and the Israelites had been defeated militarily, and the Jews and the Israelites had been deported in mass numbers all throughout the Middle East and all throughout Central Asia. There's Pokemon Go. If I could, if, uh, and I, I wanna summarize where we've been, okay? So this is where we were in June, right? Uh, we see in chapter one of Nehemiah, Nehemiah hears about what is going on at Jerusalem. And he hasn't been there. He's a Persian government official working in the Persian capital. But there's something about the way his brother tells him what things are like. It grabs his heart, grabs his attention, and he can't shake it. He becomes burdened. I want to solve this problem. Somebody, somebody's got to do something about this. I don't know if you've ever heard yourself say that. <laughs> that speaks to a burden. And he allowed himself to be burdened in chapter one. In chapter two, we see that uh, Nehemiah waited. He didn't just jump right in and try and tackle the problem, he waited. And while he was waiting, he did active waiting. He prayed, and then he prayed some more, and he prayed, and he fasted, and he allowed that burden to kind of grow inside of him and get more ferocious, but he also researched. He asked the question, well, if the walls are torn down and the gates are, are totally dismantled and burned, what would it take to repair them? What kind of resources would, would need to be brought to this situation? Do I have at my fingertips or do I know people who have access to those resources? Where are they? What are they? And he began to prepare in that way, in active waiting. In chapter three, he gets started. He starts on the work and we find that some people helped him and some people didn't. If your kids are on a sports team, this is true of the other parents. Some people help <laughs> and some people don't. This is how it works. And even though some people didn't help, he kept at it. He kept at it. And he kept at it. In Nehemiah chapter four, we find that Nehemiah faced problems and discouragement. He was bummed. People were coming at him with all kinds of stuff. And he was discouraged. But he didn't let that keep him down. He rested, he reorganized, and he remembered that God is bigger than his problems. And if you'll remember, we gave good advice that week. We said, if you are tired and very discouraged, that is not a context in which to make a major life decision, right? Go to bed, sleep, <laughs> come at it fresh. Well, now that brings us to Nehemiah chapter six, all right? Nehemiah chapter six. And I'll read these first four verses and then we'll talk about them. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps had remained. So the wall has been restored to its proper height. He's almost done. 
So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. If you ever wondered if Ono is in the Bible, there it is right there. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. Sanballat opposed Nehemiah when he first showed up. And in this message, Sanballat is basically saying, hey, look, I know we got off to a rocky start in the beginning. Let's bury the hatchet. Come on. Meet me halfway in Ono. We'll work this out. Here's an olive branch. It looks like an opportunity, doesn't it? In a sense, Nehemiah's enemies are saying, you win, uncle. But Nehemiah senses something. Now, Ono is on the coast, and uh, to leave the work in Jerusalem, he would have been leaving that for something akin to a resort-like experience, right? But Nehemiah senses something's off. Now, some com commentators say that Sanballat is trying to lure Nehemiah out of Jerusalem away from his armed escort so they can ambush him and kill him. Here's what I want you to know. You and I have an unseen enemy, just like Nehemiah had enemies that had real names. And our unseen enemy is trying to distract us from what is great. I'm just telling you. In the past six months, I was asked to join two different boards that I had to say, no, I can't. I was, I've turned down three or four speaking opportunities just in the last three or four months. I know, what I'm, I know what my priorities are. And those opportunities, as good as they were, I mean, trust me, I was like, wow, you want me on that board? Wow, you want me to speak at that event? You know, it was great for my ego. It just didn't fit the priorities. It was hard, hard to say no. And yet, priorities can help you filter the good from the best. Um, priorities shaped Nehemiah's response. He knew what he was there to do. I am here to make sure that the walls of Jerusalem are built, done, finished, the gates are constructed and hung so that the city has defenses. That's what I'm here for. I am doing a great work. Listen, can I, let me bring this to where you and I live. If you're a student, you have a great work. It's not student life, it's being a student. I know a lot of students, they go off to college and they major in college life. <laughs> college life is what keeps you downtown Lexington until two or three in the morning. It has no bearing on whether or not you graduate. <laughs> it has no bearing on what all those student loans are for, right? If you are a parent or you're married, you know this. That relationship with your spouse, that relationship with your kids over a 10-year period is more important than what you're doing for a paycheck. You know this, right? And I understand there are seasons in our lives, right? You're finishing a degree. Um, there's a big project that's due at work. There are seasons that are give and take. But over the long haul, over the long cycle of 10 years, 20 years, you know what's really important. If you're a nurse, if you're a teacher, Come on, you don't have just a job, you have a vocation. If you're teaching, you're doing the nurturing of souls. 
You are doing a great work. I want to talk to you if you're a grandparent. Let me tell you, if you're a grandparent, your grandkids need you. People, the kids today need their grandparents. They need their grandparents. They need you to be a voice that tells them who they are and that God has something special for them. When I was uh, junior high into high school, my frail, arthritic grandmother, who was like 80 pounds soaking wet, would tell me all the time, Mark, because that's my real name, Mark, God's got something special for you. I just know it. And I would laugh it off, but on the inside, I would think to myself, is that really true? And it captured my imagination. God used her in that way, okay? So grandparents, your, your grandkids need you to articulate that. Some things are more important than others. I face this on any given morning when I wake up. I've, I don't know how many times I've been through the Bible now. It's like 20-some times, okay? I read the Bible because my default factory setting is a Debbie Downer. So my default factory setting when I encounter a situation is, oh no, we're all gonna die, ah! Okay, and I need faith. I need faith that says to me, God is at work in this. God was at work in this before I even showed up. I can trust God. Reading the Bible helps me in that way. And yet there are mornings I'll get up and I'll go straight to my computer and I'll open my email and I'm distracted. What? I know. Okay, this is how this stuff plays out. Four times Sanballat asks, and four times Nehemiah declines. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Would you turn to your neighbor and say this to them? I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. You are. If you're married, you're doing a great work and you cannot come down. If you're a parent, you are doing a great work and you cannot come down. Some of you have some burdens that are put in there by the Holy Spirit. You are doing a great work and you cannot come down. Well, pick it up, verse five. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand and this is what the letter said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations and Geshem tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel and that's why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you've appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there's a king in Judah. You can be sure this report will get back to the king. So I suggest you come and talk it over with me. You can just feel the sliminess oozing out of this letter. It's an open letter which means normally you send a letter like that, it's got a wax seal. The messenger only delivers the letter. This is an open letter, it's different. If you've ever been in the military and, and the commanding officer sends something and it's on a piece of paper, if it's not sealed, you read it because you wanna know what's going on, what's the scuttlebutt. And back then it was no different. And so the unsealed letter was sent with the intent that this would get out and create a rumor problem for Nehemiah. And it's all based on lies. God's priorities and even the priorities that you prayerfully determine are not always gonna be well received, gang. I have a friend whose kid is amazing in soccer and they, uh, for them, they've committed that Sunday mornings are a God thing and they all serve in church. And in fact, both uh, the son and the daughter serve in the children's ministry of the church they attend. But his son is phenomenal at soccer. Well, they've made this decision. For them, Sunday mornings are a priority. Well, the coach has come to him. Hey, Rick, 
come on. Your son, like, your son makes this team. We need you for this game. Other parents have come to him. Rick, come on. We, you don't understand when he, when your boy's out there, I mean, that's, that's a game changer for us. He feels the tension. He does. But his priorities have helped him filter out that opportunity. Okay? Your priorities God's priorities aren't always gonna be met with uh, uh, applause and they won't always be well received. Um, often people who come to faith, uh, who become what we, call, uh, what we called in the olden days new believers, right, would feel this tension with their uh, old friends. Uh, their old friends would be like, come, why don't you hang out with us anymore? And the new believer's like, well, because I'm really weak and I don't want to have my blood level get to 0.20 again and I'm trying really hard to walk this new walk and I don't know how I have it figured all out. And so what do the friends say to him? Oh, you think you're better than us. A lie. It's a threat to get him to come back, right? Okay. Well, what, how does Nehemiah respond? I replied, verse eight, there is no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop us from the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Uh, in the original language, it says this, but I prayed, strengthen our hands. So Nehemiah denies it. He basically says a quick prayer, and he gets back to work. That's not, bad. It's not a bad model to follow. Deny it, pray, hey God, <laughs> I need your help here and get back to what you know is important. That's not, not a bad model at all. Well, the plot thickens in verses 10 and following. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Delaiah, and grandson of Mehitabel. Those are some names, come on, you gotta love them, right? Who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, oh God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done, and remember, Noadiah, the prophet, and all the prophets like her have tried to intimidate me. By the way, if you got people out for you, you should read chunks of the Old Testament. There's a lot in there that, that helps your spirit in those moments, okay? Shemaiah claims to know something that Nehemiah doesn't. He basically says, hey, they're, they're gonna kill you tonight. But you know what? We're right next to the temple. Come on in. Come on in with me. They won't touch you in here he seems to be offering a solution to a problem he presents. The thing about Nehemiah is that he had decided long ago that he would not violate his conscience and he would not violate the commands of God. And one of the clear commands of God is that only a priest can enter the temple. And so Nehemiah refuses. Look, if they're coming, basically saying, if they're coming forward to me tonight, they're gonna get me because I'm not going in the temple. I'm not gonna cross that line. I've known guys who have been ravaged by business partners because uh, of, of 
of an enticement to cross what they knew was a moral boundary for them. Uh, along the lines of, hey, we're not gonna make payroll. We need you to do this just this once. And then you cross the line, right? Nehemiah determined he wasn't gonna cross the line. And look what happens, verses 15 and 16. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished. On October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Aren't you glad Nehemiah didn't come down? I'm telling you, the people in Jerusalem, they were glad that Nehemiah did not come down from the great work that God had given him. Because now Jerusalem had walls and had gates and that did two things. It, was, it provided practical relief. They were now defensible. They could offer a defense, which means that they could temple practices, all kinds of things they could institute and do with the kind of freedom they needed to do it. And secondly, it squelched what was going around uh, the talk, which was basically, your God doesn't care about you. Look at how he's left you in ruins. There was an issue related to God's fame. 52 days, they accomplished this great work. Let me ask you a question about where you are. How are you doing with what's truly important? How are you doing with what's truly important right now? Are you distracted? You know, there's a saying, God loves you and everyone has a plan for your life. Let me say that again. God loves you and everyone has a plan for your life. And that, there's a lot of truth to that. There is a lot of truth to that. You gotta know what those God priorities are and you gotta know what is truly important for you right now. Uh, one of the things Jenny and I did this last week is uh, we took an entire day and we mapped out our family calendar till May of 2017. And you look at me and you're like, you are nuts. No. I just know what happens when we don't do that because I've, I've lived that. It gets filled with all these things that aren't God priorities, that aren't the priorities of relationships that we know should be priorities and we get to the end of the year and we consider it, quote, a lost year. I'm 47, I don't want a lot more lost years, right? I want my years to count. Let me ask another question, if you could think of your life for a moment, think of where you are, your life, what are two or three things right now that are most important? What are two or three things right now that are most important? Just out of curiosity, was God one of those? Could he maybe make the list? Let me... Let me uh, bring this down where uh, the rubber hits the road. Say yes to God priorities, right? Community of faith. I mean, Jesus himself, Paul, have said the same thing, which is namely, the very real presence of Jesus in the world today is through his church. Um, say yes to God priorities. Some of you have a burden. Uh, I've heard you talk about things, whether it's youth group or... Uh, 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 food pantry or things like that and your voice gets raised and you're like, well, you know, they really need to, and, and, I, and you know what that is? It's called a burden. 
and it very well could be from the Holy Spirit. And you would do well to kind of walk that out and seek some wise counsel. And if that's a God burden, if you've waited and you've prayed, maybe it's time to take a step. But say yes to God priorities. One thing you could do as an individual or as a family is you could create a rallying cry. It's just a statement. The most important thing right now is, and just name it. Stick it on the dashboard of your car. Stick it on the mirror when you get ready in the morning. If you're married, every Saturday morning when you get up or Sunday morning, you have a check-in. We said the most important thing right now is, how are we doing with that? There have been seasons for us as Team Vanderpool, there was a season where John Mark's homeschooling was priority number one. There was a season when friends for one of our other kids was priority number one. There was a season when, okay, it's, it's changed from season to season, but you could create a rallying cry statement and you stick it on your car, you stick it on your mirror, and you, you come at it once a week. Say yes to God priorities. Say no to the devil's distractions. C.S. Lewis wrote this amazing uh, book called The Screwtape Letters. It's about a conversation between a low-level demon and a higher-level demon. And they're talking about how they're gonna stumble Christians and, and what their strategy is. And one of the things that comes up in this fictional work is uh, basically the, the older mentor demon telling the younger demon about this person of faith, look, just give them a lot of, keep them busy Give them a lot of good stuff to do. They'll be scurrying around like nothing, and before you know it, they'll miss what's great. You wanna, you wanna tank God's kingdom stuff? Just keep them busy, buddy. <laughs> and it's an amazing thing. Priorities, priorities, God's priorities, when you have priorities, they become a filter for the good. And all of a sudden, even though it seems good, even though it looks good, you have a filter by which you can say, no, that's not for me. This passage has a lot of personal uh, import for me because this is the text uh, that I used on the last sermon I gave uh, at the mothership as we were getting ready to launch out Generations. And it, for me, this text represented a culmination. Uh, I had... Uh, I was a consummate executive pastor. I did my job well. I'm a, I'm a weedy. I'm a, at that time, I was a big people pleaser, and I wanted everybody to like me, so anything, any task that was given to me, I would do it. I would knock it out of the park so that they could say, man, we are so glad to have Max Vanderpool. But what it meant was I would put in a 50-hour work week, and then I would be gone six nights a week, and most of the time on the weekends. And the culmination came, and uh, you can verify this with my son who's here today, the culmination for me came one day when uh, I was going out for a meeting, and John, who was four at the time, says, Daddy, don't go, don't go to a meeting. And I was like, well, I really have to go. And then his best friend at the time, Caleb, was like, yeah, Uncle Max, don't go, don't go, please don't go. And I'm like, no, I have to. And then, and then came the, the sword from my eldest child. Daddy, you're always going to meetings. <gasps> <laughs> and I walked out of that door mortally wounded. I was like, oh, this is the life I'm living? No, I can't do this. This isn't what was really important. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Generations as a church, have you noticed we don't have a ton of programming? That's by design. 
<laughs> That's with an intentionality because I know some things are more important than others, okay? So I wanna remind you this morning, you may not realize this, but you are doing a great work and you cannot come down. You are doing a great work and you cannot come down. You are doing a great work and you cannot come down. Don't let the devil distract you. Don't let your sand ballots pull you from what you know is great, which is right in front of you. You are doing a great work and you cannot come down. Can I pray for you and pray for me? I'm gonna ask James to make his way up here. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity of today. There's so many, look, I feel like so many times I take three steps forward and two steps back and then two steps forward and three steps back. And I know this isn't about perfection, but it is about direction. I do not want to miss the great just because I did a bunch of good. And I know the people in this room don't either. For some of us, that means cementing up. We know that you've been calling us and wooing us and you've been at work in our lives, and we need to get to a point where we just say, Uncle, yes, I will let Jesus lead. From here on out, Jesus, you lead, I follow, done. And my rightness with God doesn't have anything to do with what I bring to the table or my performance. It's based solely what on Jesus did on my behalf. God, for some of us, we need to firm up our priorities before the school year starts, before the chaos begins, and we need to know what's really most important right now is, would you help us with clarity as we're talking with our spouses, as we're fleshing things out and thinking things out, Holy Spirit, lead and guide so that we can have the kind of clarity that Nehemiah had. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen.